Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week nine, day one of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 20, 1 through 9. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Joshua two more times during these last two weeks that we have to go through it. It really will transform how you see God's Word, what you get out of it, and, and just how you interact with the Lord and His Word. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your Word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With Alice, Gemma, to God's word, I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 20, starting in verse 1. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. <clears throat> and the important thing here to remember, the important thing to note is that this is unintentional. This is accidental. This is not that they murdered the person that they intended to do that. Uh, this is an accidental death. This is not uh, in any way uh, them hating this person and wanting them dead or wishing ill on them. This is something where just an accident happened. And the reason for this is the people who want vengeance for their family member or whoever, uh, you know, you can't see accident, you know, you can, but it's, it's difficult, right? There's so many emotions and the pain and just all of the things wrapped up in all of that. It, it becomes very difficult to see the truth if the person actually did accidentally kill that person and so the idea behind this is there needs to be a safe place for them to run to and, you know, have refuge from those people that now want to, to take their life in retribution. And so that's what these cities of refuge are about. All right, continue on. Verse four. <clears throat> when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. So not only, now it, it's not saying that they're supposed to just provide for all of their needs. They're saying they're supposed to give them a place to live. Like you can have this little plot of ground or you can rent this place or whatever. Not saying that they had to provide for them, but that they had to make a space for them, essentially. Verse 5. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. They may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So there's going to be a trial. Right, They're not just going there and saying that they didn't do it. They're going to go and they're going to run there and tell the elders of the city, hey, I accidentally killed my friend or whatever, and I know they're coming for me. I need to seek refuge in the town. And the elders will sit there and say, yeah, sounds a little fishy. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Or, okay, you know, come on in. It's, it's, they're leaving it up to the, the Lord is leaving it up to the elders' judgment to see if they should let the person in. 
And if they believe the person or if they believe the person's story to be credible, they let them in, but then they don't leave it at that. There's going to be a trial. That person is going to stand trial in that city, in that city of refuge. And then they're going to find out, oh, no, you actually did murder this person. You don't get to stay in the city of refuge if the trial determines that you murdered the person. This is not a kill someone, get away with it for free card kind of town, you know, like the the get out of jail free card from Monopoly. That's not what this is. This is that this truly an accident and the other people can't see it. And and they're like, no, we're going to we're going to, you know, get retribution for our loved one or whatever. That's what this is about. This is about a true accident, not a real murder. If it's a real murder and they have the trial and it comes out that, yeah, you did this. You are out of the city of refuge. You are no longer under the protection of this place. But the these were very valuable places in those days and in that day and time um, to, to be able to be free from that retribution. Let's continue on verse seven. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, <coughs> east of the Jordan on the other side of Jericho, uh, from Jericho, they just designated Bezer uh, or Bozrah in some other translations, in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. So let's go to our map here. And again, you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but if you're listening, it's 10weekbible.com slash Joshua. So we've got these three on the west side, and then these three on the east side of the Jordan. So they're not just scattered all over the place. They're, I mean, they're not just a a ton of them. There's only six. And, you know, imagine if someone's after you, you got to run to that city. Now, here's the other thing is if you believe you're innocent, you're going to run to one of these cities. If you're guilty you're probably not going to run to one of those cities. You're probably going to run and hide. You're going to leave. You're going to do somewhere else. So by virtue of the fact that someone is running to that city, they are in essence declaring their innocence when running there. Um, when the person whose relative has died, you know, the story is going to come out. They're going to, they're going to say the, or they're going to be told the person said it was an accident they're going to know where to go find those people, right? They're probably going to have run to the closest one of these cities. And so at worst, if you're looking for this person to bring them to trial, you've got to probably go to one of two different cities to try and find them. But more than likely, you're going to know exactly which one to go to and find out where they are so you can bring them to trial. So it's kind of an interesting system, right? This is not at all how we function or think today. But for a society that has no king, no unified, and for the next several hundred years, 400 years or so, there's not going to be a king. There's not going to be a central government. There's not going to be any kind of of top-down system that you can assign control of of refugees or or fugitives and all these kind of things. You, there's there's no system in place to deal with all of this like we have. Like they 
They had judges and they had things like that, but they didn't have this, you know, very top-down court system like we have in the United States and like most places have today and like many places have all over the world and have for quite some time. It's a very different way of doing things than what we're used to. And so, you know, I've read through this thing so many times, just trying to wrap my head around what must it have been like to been in a judicial system where this is how it functions. Because this is, right, if you're innocent, this is still terribly disruptive to your life because all of a sudden this accident, this terrible tragedy has happened. And now essentially you are confined to this new place for the rest of the high priest's life. If you're found innocent, you stay in that town until that high priest dies and then you're allowed to go back. And, and presumably, right, the idea here is that once the high priest is dead, you're off limits. You can't go back. If you go back and the other people are still angry at you and they kill you, well, that's murder on them. It should be murder on them no matter what at that point when it's found to be that you were innocent, but this is the way that it worked. And so, you know, this is uh, the, the interesting thing to me is there is none that I can think of. There are no cases in scripture of this being used, of this system being used. <clears throat> it's, it, it, and it makes me wonder, you know, I've have, have more questions than I have answers about this system. Was it, was it kind of like when people ran there, did the Avengers of blood, the people that are angry about this, want to bring them to trial. Did they even bother? Did the, the elders of the city, did they, you know, was there ever any corruption in this? You know, I, I, I wonder about all of those kinds of things. How did real people in real time actually walk these things out? And scripture is relatively silent about all of these things. There's several times where instead of going to a city of refuge, we see in scripture that um, different people knowing that someone else is wanting to kill them and, and justifiably so that they've done some kind of wicked thing where they're deserving of capital punishment. They go and they grab the horns of the altar in the, in the tabernacle or the temple and, um, and, and, you know, say, Hey, I'm, I'm holding on to this. I'm innocent. It's like, if you want to kill me, come here and kill me. It's like, you know, are you going to kill me in the temple in the most holy place? You're going to kill me here? Really? And it's, it's, it's almost like a perversion of the system that the Lord set up instead of running to the city of refuge or whatever and letting the justice system of the head take place. They go and they use this manipulation of, you know, Hey, I'm in the temple. You wouldn't kill a man in a holy place like this, would you? You wouldn't do that. And it turns out at least one of the cases like, Oh yeah, we will. Yeah. You're, you're bad. That's, we're not going to be intimidated by that. You're going to die uh, because you deserve capital punishment. So I always find an interest when we read things like this, there's many things like this in the old Testament laws and things like that, where it, we're given the instructions on what to do, but there's no actual cases recorded in scripture. Now, and I have read uh, a lot of the Talmud, not all of it, and I haven't found anything in what I've read. It doesn't mean it's not there. I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working through it over time. I haven't found anything, any stories in there yet where it talks about people doing this. Again, it doesn't mean it's not there. 
I just haven't read it. I imagine that this system was used, but I, I do. I always wonder, like, how was it used? How often was it used? Was this really like that common a thing? Like, are there that many people that are accidentally, you know, killing other people? I don't know all of the circumstances by which this would have have played out. And everything that we have, everything that I have at my disposal is relatively silent on this. And so I don't like to speculate and things like that, you know, speculate wildly about what what did or didn't happen when I don't have any information on how this actually played out. But I find it very interesting. The Lord was concerned that if there's an innocent person, I'm going to make a way for them to, to stay safe until they can prove their innocence. All right. Verse 9, any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. And again, the most important thing here is that this is not a get out of jail free car. This is not I'm going to kill somebody and run here and say that I'm innocent and just stay there the rest of my life. No, there's going to be a trial. Again, so I think that the the way that this is actually going to play out is if you murdered somebody and you know that they're coming for you, you're not going to run to one of these cities because they're, these cities are intended for justice to play out there. And so if you know you killed him, you're probably not running there. And so the only people that run to these cities are probably actually innocent. Uh, and, and so just by virtue of running to these cities... You have declared your innocence and in some ways provided part of the proof for it. Because if you were guilty, maybe you'd run to these cities, but more than likely not because you know that they're going to give you up for trial. And so you're going to go hide somewhere else. I find it a fascinating thing that the Lord provided for this. Coming from my perspective, from a modern Western perspective, I find it hard to wrap my mind around the world that existed where this was necessary, but it was, and this is the way that things were handled back then, not just amongst the Israelites, but amongst a lot of the nations around there. And so this is the Lord providing something that other nations probably didn't have is a way to go and be safe until they can stand trial and prove their innocence. Right, we see this very much today. This is, um, I don't, I don't like to superimpose our modern culture on something ancient that we, you know, we weren't there thirty five hundred years ago. I don't know exactly how this society worked, but knowing the conflict in the Holy Land in Israel between the Palestinians and the Israelis today, you see this just constant desire for retribution. Oh my gosh, you know, you killed my so you know, my brother in war, right? And we're not even talking about just murder and cold blood. It's like, oh, he was mur- he was killed in war. So I'm coming to avenge him by, you know, bombing people at a bus stop, just random people, you know, begin and and then it just it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and again, I don't like to superimpose on these ancient people, but there is one thing that we can superimpose, and that's human nature. And human nature is all about retribution. So providing a place to stop the retribution until people have had time to calm down and think and actually go through a trial, it's huge. It's huge. It's, it's, it's earth-changing. 
Um, again, we don't do things like this, but I do believe that the fact that we take people into custody to, you know, to uh, sometimes it can actually be to provide for their own safety. Um, so that these kind of things don't happen. I think there's wisdom in that, that comes from the way that the Lord set this up. Otherwise you just end up with continual retribution and vengeance is his, the Lord's according to him. So he says, thus saith the Lord, vengeance is mine. So we don't want to take it ourselves in the heat of the moment. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's word. Thank you.